already so silent. Maybe that's a good sign. We'd like to welcome you to IMS. I'm Michael, and to my left is Larry. Quite a few familiar faces, but also quite a few new faces for us. We do most of our teaching in the city at the Cambridge Insight Meditation Center. And as we were driving out, uh, you know, we were just reflecting on the fact that um, you know, the center is really a wonderful place for us to have our base, you know, to teach on a regular basis. Um, but it's always nice to, a uh, little bit of a change. Um, both Larry and I have spent a lot of time out in IMS, not just teaching, but as retreatants also. So coming out here, uh, for us, definitely has a lot of, we have a lot of memories. And we were just uh, talking outside here, and just reflecting on the fact that uh, both our lives have changed a lot from really out of the practice that we did here at this center. So naturally both of us think that IMS is really a good condition, good place to practice. It's a beautiful place, it's peaceful. There's a lot more snow out here than in Cambridge, I can tell you that. And the roads are a lot bumpier. Notice that too, a lot of potholes. IMS has been in business for quite some time. It's been here for 28 plus years. And over the years, they continue to refine and I think uh, create a better and better atmosphere for silent retreats. Certainly, we as retreatants uh, really are the recipients of a lot of uh, hard work uh, by a, a very uh, dedicated group of staff. You know, I've been on staff myself. I've, I spent several years working here. And, uh, you know, staff, they, put, they, they work very hard at creating a simple environment for us. And really, one of the virtues of retreat life is we're going we're gonna to talk a lot about being mindful in daily activities. And we have daily activities on retreat. It feels a little bit different, a little less busy than our normal life. But the simplicity wouldn't be possible, you know, letting go of so many of the responsibilities that we have without the staff. And so they'll be working behind the scenes. In many ways, they do a remarkable job, I think, of being pretty invisible. And they're just kind of there taking care of things as we get a chance to sit and walk together. Retreat also provides us with the support of other practitioners. You know, for us in Cambridge, we have a, you know, quite a thriving, uh, dedicated group of practitioners. Uh, and it's really growing as the years unfold. But for many of us, we don't really get a chance to practice together. And when you get it, especially for new people, when you get it to take a look at the schedule, you realize that you probably wouldn't sit and walk nearly as much if you were on your own. Uh, it's, it's one of those practices, it's one of those schedules that we really do need the support. Even for people who've been practicing a long time, it would be a pretty difficult practice uh, without each other supporting each other. And so we have that support. And it's extremely precious, extremely unusual. And so many people come together in practice in such a one-pointed way. 
especially in the first few days, and I think especially for new people. Many of you have already sat here at IMS before, but uh, for the new folks, um, I, I really do think it, it, uh, as supportive as the conditions are for retreats, it really does take um, time to adjust. Things are really new. Maybe you're used to living alone or maybe with one or two or three other people and now you're living with a hundred people. Uh, it's a little bit different. Uh, it takes a certain degree of patience and also it takes a practice of patience. You know, just, just being generous with each other, uh, being patient with the schedule, being patient with ourselves, being patient while you're waiting in line. Retreat life definitely can stretch us in some ways. And for many of us, even though I think these conditions are extremely good, I mean, I think that all our needs, are, all our basic needs are being taken care of, I, I do recognize that there's a certain kind of renunciation also in coming here. The simplicity is wonderful in, on one hand, but also there is a renunciation of a lot of the comforts, kind of the creature comforts that we're used to whether it's the daily paper or our TVs or a cup of coffee, whatever it might be that we tend to cling to in our everyday life, sometimes we have to let it go and retreat. And so being patient with oneself, being patient with others, is certainly a very good thing to practice while you're here. One thing I'll say to new folks, and this, uh, I think about 40 of us that are, that are, maybe this is our first retreat, um, doesn't mean that you're brand new, but, this, but you probably haven't practiced uh, this intensively for six or seven days in a row. Um, when you do get a look at the schedule, um, don't freak out. Don't be overly intimidated by it. Um, you know, there's a lot of sitting and a lot of walking, and it's pretty much that's it for the day. Uh, there's not a lot of pizzazz. Uh, we get to talk at night, but sometimes we're boring, and just as boring as the sitting, actually. Uh, so um, try to entertain every once in a while, but uh, we often fail. Um, so, uh, you know, relax. Don't worry about it. Uh, people are going to be practicing with you. Uh, we hold each other. Uh, there's been countless tens of thousands of people who have come here for the first time and have made it to the end of a retreat. Uh, and actually, most of the time, they're happier than when they first got here. Uh, so, um, not to have a lot of expectations necessarily, but at the same time, uh, realize that uh, we've all been here. Uh, most of us have been here. And uh, first retreat is always, like I said, it's, it's always an education. One tends to remember one's first retreat. I know I can remember my first retreat it's a while ago, but still I can remember even certain days and even certain sittings in that first retreat. Things that tend to be very vivid when you're brand new, and that's a nice thing about being new. So appreciate it. As a community, we live by certain guidelines here. It makes life a lot easier terms of creating harmony with each other, also just in terms of creating a safe and trusting environment. And hopefully uh, we up here can help uh, support you in that. But as a community, there are ways that we can do that with each other. Uh, and certainly one of the most important guidelines, one that we'll stress every once in a while, 
um, during the retreat is, is noble silence. Noble silence is what makes, I think, IMS and insight meditation retreats um, quite unique. You know, it's not exactly a workshop format. It really is an intensive retreat. Um, and the noble silence is a big piece of it. And it's something I personally appreciate a lot about retreats. And I see that it's more, I see it as more and more precious as time goes on. I like going on retreats. I like being quiet. Uh, I like just sort of letting that, all that energy go and just focusing on what I'm doing. Uh, to me, that's very freeing. Some of you, again, it may be kind of an adjustment, but settle into it, appreciate it, respect it, uh, because you'll benefit from it. Without a doubt, you'll benefit from it. Letting go of reading and writing. Remember I said something about renunciation. Well, letting go of reading and writing for some of us is really quite a renunciation. For people who have done retreats before, of course, they're used to that. Um, but for new people, you know, letting go of reading and writing, a lot of your Dharma education uh, might have been through books. And now is a time to kind of let that go and, and jump in yourself and see what the books are talking about. Uh, and on a retreat, one can really taste Sometimes, even if you have a daily practice and you haven't done retreats, um, it's a struggle. And on a retreat is a chance to do it in such a steady way that you really create a foundation for yourself when you do leave, a stronger foundation, uh, you know, a sense of, of having a mind that's a little bit more focused, one that can uh, really begin to see more deeply into the nature of who we are. Okay, so letting go of reading and writing helps that mind settle down and focus and really take a look at your experience quite directly for yourself, which again is one of the benefits of a retreat, is that we have this group support, you know, which is precious and invaluable. Can't emphasize that anymore. Um, but at the same time, we want to nurture a certain kind of solitude, kind of aloneness, a being with yourself, amongst others. It's an unusual environment. In some ways it, it seems kind of artificial because it's not like our mostly everyday life, but it also once again can bear fruit because it, once again you get the energy from others, but you, in the silence you can develop a mind that's more silent and focused, and more attentive. Sometimes slowing down helps a little bit on retreat. We don't emphasize moving, you know, microscopically slow. Uh, certainly when you're doing your activities like your jobs or moving from the hall into a walking period or, or moving about, going to the bathroom, we want you to move, you know, at a normal pace. You don't want to be holding up a lot of people. Um, but at the same time, recognizing that most of the time there's no need to hurry. That's the, that's the spa spaciousness of retreat life is that we don't have to rush. Uh, you know, it's, it's rare. Uh, we live in the city and we work a lot with people who are very busy and have very demanding lives. And so coming on retreat is an opportunity to slow down a little bit. Uh, focus on the activity that you're doing. That's, that's what we want to do on this retreat. Meditation, of course, is there's a lot of sitting and a lot of walking, but the meditation also is when you get up from the hall, you go to the bathroom, or you brush your teeth at night. 
And so in this spacious silence, uh, you know, where, the, where you're not being pushed um, to move or to get something done or to, to, make, to accomplish anything or to achieve anything, is an opportunity uh, to just settle into what you're doing. You know, settle into each activity. So take advantage of that right from the beginning of the retreat. It's not a grim kind of labor of forcing. Everything has to be done seriously and microscopically slow or you're not being mindful. That's not it. The slowness and mindfulness are different things. But slowing down a little bit, taking your time, can be very helpful in just sort of shifting gears from third or fourth down to third or second and just taking our time a little bit. Other important guidelines for our community while we're living together. Um, I think these are good guidelines, not just for retreat life, but outside of life too. And of course, it's um, Buddhist uh, ethical guidelines. Ethical guidelines. Once again, these ethical guidelines or precepts help create a trusting and safe environment. You know, this process that we're undergoing, you know, over the next six days, it's six, seven days, um, you know, the work is quite deep, as you can imagine, you know, sitting with yourself and in silence. You know, we, we really do investigate. We're asking big questions. We're asking a lot of ourselves by being here. And so we want a safe environment. You know, we want to be able to trust each other and to, fi- and to, to feel comfortable while we're here. And the precepts are certainly essential in doing that. Um, there are five precepts. And the first ethical precept is refraining from harming living creatures. Or the positive shift is undertaking the practice of compassionate action. Okay, so that's pretty straightforward. I think most of us wouldn't have a problem with that. Uh, second precept is refraining from taking that which is not given. Okay, or undertaking the practice of contentment. You know, sometimes we think about contentment that it would be a good thing to be content, but also to begin to see that it's actually a practice. That very few of us are just naturally content, but we can actually begin to practice that by looking at frustration looking at feelings of deprivation, whatever might come up while you're on retreat, and to see if you can practice a sense of inner contentment, that that the moment is enough. Third is refraining from sexual activity. And the other side is undertaking the practice of responsibility in all one's relationships. Fourth one is refraining from harmful speech. And of course, that's an easy one on retreat. A little harder outside. But of course, it's simply noble silence. Fifth is refraining from the use of intoxicants or undertaking the practice of caring for one's body and mind. And that's very important on retreat. Try to take care of yourselves. You know, if you come in, you've been a little bit sick or whatever, uh, take care of yourself. You know, take the medicines that you brought. Um, If you take medication on a regular basis, please continue to take those medications, whatever they're for. Uh, Refraining from use of intoxicants doesn't mean you can't take your medications that you brought with you by any means. Use common sense. Take care of yourself, dress warm, all of that stuff. 
Larry and I have been teaching this retreat for a little bit more than 10 years, and our friendship goes back, uh, not to get too sentimental here, but our friendship goes back uh, like 28 years or 29 years. Uh, so we've known each other a long time, and for us, there's a lot of joy uh, in teaching this retreat coming out. We have a good time in general. Um, we also look forward to sitting with you. We'll sit a lot in the hall. You'll see us a lot up here. We make a lot of the sittings, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them. And that's a part of the retreat um, for us, too, is to come in and, and practice together. Uh, something that we do, of course, at CIMC is we sit with people, and we'll be sitting with you, and you'll probably get tired of looking at us up here. Uh, but we're, we're going to keep coming in anyway. Uh, and also, uh, I'm not sure what, whether the manager made that announcement, but um, we'll... We'll be doing interviews, you know, we'll be meeting with everybody throughout the retreat. Uh, so um, you'll get a chance to, to meet with us several times, and uh, we'll be, we look forward to talking Dharma with you. Uh, it's always nice to get to know new faces and to see old faces. And, um, you know, just look forward in general to the next week together. Uh, try to enjoy yourselves. Now I'll turn it over to Larry. Thank you. Could I have a show of hands? Uh, <clears throat> how many people, this is not a, we're not going to give you pointed hats or anything like that. For how many people is this, uh, the seven days, uh, the first time you're sitting for this long? Show of hands, please. Uh, for those of you who uh, have not, who just raised your hands, how many, of you, how many of you are pretty much new to Vipassana meditation, too? Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. Uh, Michael's right, it's a rather thin bill of fare here. Low budget film. Um, rather bleak, actually. <laughs> Sorry for you new folks. That we... Probably you were looking forward to it. Uh, many people uh, look forward to it and as a result, disregarded your relationships and your work because your mind was on, I can't wait to get up there, either because those of you who have been practicing for a while uh, perhaps know that there is some value, and then others uh, may be apprehensive or excited about it. But in a certain while, a few days, uh, you'll start thinking about going home, <laughs> and you won't be fully here, and so we'll have to stir things up. In fact, um, 
it's true there's a lot of happiness at the end of a retreat, happier than when we began, but I think some of that is because the retreat's over, for instance. <laughs> uh, it's not good for business, is it, Michael? <laughs> am I being serious or am I kidding? I guess you'll have to find out. So, a bunch of strangers thrown together, and I think as you find a hundred of us, a little more, uh, something happens, a very uh, interesting community develops, uh, can be very even touching and close feelings in the silence. Those of you who have not been so quiet uh, for, for this much time, I think you may find some surprises. Uh, if at first it is not pleasant or even difficult to do, uh, just look at that. Uh, that's the hard thing in a retreat. I'm going to briefly give you a sense of the, the method we'll be using, a form that we're using, we'll be using. But um, the hardest thing about practice, as far as I can tell, and also in teaching it, is that what we're learning how to do is to be with what, what is, just the way it is. Uh, but of course, the mind has come here not to be with the way things are, because you don't, you're not crazy about the way things are, and so you figure, well, if I come here, then the way things are will be much better. And so there's a yearning to improve things, and our mind gets fixated a bit on that. And yet the practice, again and again, over and over again, is about how is it right now? How is it just at this moment? Uh, even a simple uh, practice, which we will begin in a few uh, in a few moments, just to be aware of breathing. Uh, and if you've read about it, or you'll hear us say things, it's uh, it enables the mind to settle down and to become more peaceful. We come, typically, the mind in either a dull or agitated state, and the mind may spend a lot of its time in one or the other, all of us. Uh, but then we've heard that this leads to calm, which it does. We have to say that, but then as soon as we say that, then that becomes what you want. And then it becomes awareness with craving and clinging. We want the calm that we hear is possible. Some of us know it's possible because we've been doing it for a while. And so then the agitation comes from that. And so it's a kind of Dharma suffering. In short, we give you a new way of suffering that you didn't have before. As if you didn't have enough, we give you... And there'll be more coming, don't worry. Because you're going to want whatever you hear that's good. You can't help yourself. What Ego does. It wants whatever you value. Uh, the particular method we'll be practicing uh, to begin with is called Anapanasati, sometimes translated as mindful, mindfulness with breathing or full awareness of breathing, full awareness with breathing. Uh, it centers on noticing, again, something rather ordinary that each one of us in this hall is breathing. 
uh, we've been breathing all along. We came into life breathing. We started breathing since our life really started to begin. And when the breath stops, we're dead. So the breath is very, very important, and yet, unless we get the wind knocked out of us or we get sick, typically we don't give it that much attention. If you have a particular respiratory ailment, of course you do. But here, the ordinary breath is something that we're, in the first few days, first, we'll see how it goes, but probably roughly three days or so, we're going to give that uh, exclusive attention to the breathing uh, we're going to emphasize that. And what tends to happen is the mind settles down. All of the scattered energies that the mind has, uh, if you don't know your mind is that scattered and wild, those of you who are rather new to the practice uh, may discover something about your mind, if you don't already know it, that when it's untrained, it's wild, quite wild. And it's with this mind that we're making important decisions and uh, running our life. And then when you sit still, it becomes very, very clear. Now, I don't think IMS implants it in us. This is the mind we came with. And just we're now taking a look. And when we ask you to be with something rather simple, like an in-breath and an out-breath, we find that that's not what the mind wants to do. It's got all kinds of preoccupations. Likes and dislikes and memories and aspirations and hopes and uh, attitudes, moods that it gets into. And the instructions are remarkably simple. It's just no matter what comes up, just notice that you're breathing. That's it, in, the, in essence. Uh, this ability to do that, and you'll see that, probably see that develop as the days unfold, brings with it a certain calm and a certain clarity, uh, because all that energy that in a sense is squandered, because as you hear your mind, so much of what it does uh, not only doesn't lead to peace or harmony or fulfillment, uh, it seems really a rather foolish way to live the same thoughts again and again and again, thoughts we've had for years, the same words of encouragement or criticism again and again. Uh, for what end? What does it really accomplish? Little by little we begin to see that it's really a rather good trade-in to, to swap all of that for just a simple in and out breath. But you won't know that until you know it. And the only way you know it is by paying attention to your own breathing. No reading, writing, or arithmetic here. The book we're learning how to read is our own book. Each one of us is here to learn about ourselves. And even though something as simple as an in-breath and an out-breath, as we attend to it, you can't help but learn about yourself because you begin to see what the mind really wants to do and what it really doesn't want to do and how it spends its energy, how it devotes its time and energy. Um, as the mind learns how to settle down using the breathing, 
and the silence and uh, walking meditation and a, a general attitude of mindfulness, which uh, you'll hear much more about, the mind becomes much more fit to look into itself. And then the, the approach of this sutra, this teaching, uh, is the central meditative teaching of the Buddha, the original teachings, which have to do with the foundations of mindfulness, essentially the mind-body process, this mind and this body, coming to know it in a fresh and new way. But it's hard to do if the mind is wild. And so we use the breathing, walking, general mindfulness to help to enable the mind to be in a better position to take a look and to become more familiar. More familiar with what? Well, with the life of the body, not as an idea, not as a picture, but the inner experience of having a body. The breath, of course, being part of that. And as we become more familiar with the body, uh, that starts to include the mind as well, the different moods we have, the different likes and dislikes, tendencies, uh, patterns that have been with us for sometimes since childhood. It all will start to emerge. And the practice, uh, as we become more familiar with the ways of the mind, and the breath can be used to accompany you. I'm giving you a kind of preview of one way of practicing. The breath will be used exclusively, and we'll start this evening in a few moments, to calm, stabilize, and help the mind settle down. And then we'll begin to open the field of attention. So for some of you, using the breath as a kind of the ground out of which your awareness uh, is directed towards whatever else is happening, we begin to not only be with the breathing, but to be with whatever is prominent and vivid in the body and in the mind. Mind includes, uh, it's not just thinking, it's the full range of what we, of mental events, emotional events, moods, and so forth. And of course, silence and space, which is right here, right now, but inaccessible because the mind's so busy. We'll also uh, be encouraged to take a look at certain basic guidelines that the Buddha laid down for us to help us get free of our suffering. One of the main ones and a very reliable door to freedom is to begin to see that no matter what it is we attend to, that it arises and passes away. No breath stays forever, no thought stays forever, no mood stays forever. You'll love hate it being here, you'll hate being here, on and on. Uh, more and more the emphasis not being on the content, but on being able to, to watch this extraordinary unfolding of watching it all come and go. And there are other uh, implications which we'll get into later. And so that's the general uh, direction of the practice uh, as we come to be able to stay with the, the materials, the, the content of our mind, for example. That content begins to empty itself out. And we find ourselves in another dimension of mind altogether. You want to label it spiritual or whatever language you like. There's so many 
different ways to talk about it. We're not so interested in that as feeling it, as being it. And so anything that helps us let go of our uh, strongly held preoccupations, the uh, tendencies we have that have been with us often for many, many years, uh, in part, large part, causing suffering and perhaps a less than fresh experience of being alive, starts to fall away and there is a feeling of being more alive, but more alive includes having to look at that part of us which is perhaps painful. It includes joy, it includes whatever a human being is, is composed of for all of us. And one method is to use the breath throughout. That's anapanasati, where we calm and concentrate the mind using the breath in a singular way. It's exclusive attention. And then uh, those of you who are drawn to this can stay with the breathing as a kind of good friend that helps you stay awake and to observe and become mindful of all that is other than breath, what I just mentioned. But some of you would prefer, perhaps you will, and some of you already know this, that after you use the breathing to calm and steady the mind, to then just be with whatever is there, where the breath is nothing special, is just one event among many, and that's fine too. The main thing we're going to be emphasizing is wakefulness. Stay awake. This particular uh, method that we're beginning with, beginning with Anapanasati, uh, touches upon the four foundations of mindfulness. I gave a very, very brief view of it, condensed. And as far as we know, the Buddha attained awakening using breath awareness. It was a central part of the Buddha's practice and exists as a practice to greater or lesser extent in seems pretty much most Buddhist schools. Um, I think that's all I'd like to say tonight about it because I think it's uh, much more helpful for us just to begin doing it and there'll be an opportunity as you gain direct experience of the method uh, to ask questions that are quite meaningful and personal as the retreat unfolds. I think before we actually sit, might be a good idea, you've just been sitting, uh, listening to Ada, give, uh, the manager's talk, and Michael and myself, please feel free to stretch, stand up, move. This won't be a long sitting. Some of you have come a long way, probably all of you are a little bit tired. We would like you to get a good night's rest. Also, you begin out probably earlier than you usually do. Be nice if you get used to going to sleep a little bit earlier. And please assume a posture, a sitting posture. 
Those of you who are very new, you'll have to experiment. There are many ways to arrange the body. so that it's helpful in this practice of getting to know ourselves directly. Here's some guidelines that go back to ancient times, even preceding the Buddha. The goal of a posture is for it to be stable, as stable as possible at the beginning that maybe uh, not so stable and comfortable little by little the mind can and the body learn how to sit so that the body is stable and comfortable And so find whether you're in a chair or using a bench or with your legs crossed. Arrange the body so that it feels as comfortable as possible. And now from the inside, ease into what feels like an upright posture. The point is not for it to be ramrod-like, but just from inside, feeling your way into what you feels like a posture where the head, neck, and back are straight, the spinal cord is straight. Very helpful, helps you stay awake, helps the breathing. The chin tilted down, downwards just ever so slightly. Closing your eyes, unless you've been practicing in a way that some people practice with their eyes partially open. If that's how you prefer to practice, it's fine with us. For those of you who are new, experiment with just the eyes resting very, very softly, the lids closed, but not squeeze shut. And take a few moments to survey the body. Any areas of tension? As you move through the body, perhaps you're seeing the, the eyes are hard or the jaws very squeezed tight, perhaps determined. Mindfulness has a way of setting things right. It's not so much you have to relax the body as become aware of the tension. And then that seems to soften it a little bit. 
just naturally. This recognition seems to have a, a nice effect on the body. The shoulders hunched up, poised for action. And just briefly moving through the body, coursing through the body, and seeing if any part of the body is contracted or held unnecessarily. As much as possible, relaxed and upright. Taking a look at the mind as well. What are we starting with? We've seen what the body is like to begin with. What's our starting mood? Apprehension? Excitement? Perhaps our mind is preoccupied with something from work, something at home. Just notice where you are to begin with. Happy to be here, a little nervous about being here. Don't do anything about it, just just notice it. And if you like, take two or three breaths that are a little bit deeper than your normal breathing. Don't force it. In and out through the nose, just a few. And then allow the breathing to assume its own natural rhythm. So in this way of practicing, using Anapanasati, mindful breathing, we have no particular design as to how the breath should be. Rather, The emphasis is on the knowing, the mindfulness of the breath, however it is. Just mindful of the breath sensations. It's not an idea or picture, but where? I think probably most of you already or at the nose, or at the abdomen, some of you at the chest. Some of you perhaps just an overall sense of breath sensations throughout the body. I wouldn't suggest that if you're very new to the practice. In general, it seems best to take a point like the nose or the abdomen and just station attention there. What are you attending to? Sensations. It's not an idea. As air enters the nostrils, the tissue is very sensitive, you can feel it. 
the upper lip, nostrils, you're at the tummy, the lungs fill up and empty, you can feel sensations at the abdomen. There's a rising and falling motion. But not the idea rising or the idea falling, not the idea in-breath or the idea out-breath, but just what's there, sensations that are there. So we're learning how to be relaxed and alert at the same time. giving the breath full reign to establish itself in its own way. That itself is a training to not direct or control the breathing, but just to allow it, allow it to to do what it wants to do. as we attend to these breath sensations, probably we all know, from time to time, this attention slips off the breath sensations and we find ourselves elsewhere. Caught up in the future, caught up in the past, some memory some idea about how things will be, perhaps a yearning or a hope, perhaps some apprehension. Happy memories, unhappy memories, and even ideas about the present moment. But in fact, we're not with the breathing. As soon as we notice that, it really doesn't matter what's taken us away. They've all functioned in the very same way, they've taken us away. So independent of content, we notice, oh, I'm with some preoccupation of mind, which is only natural. There's nothing strange about it. The mind's been following these preoccupations for a long time. When we see it, we just ease back 
through the breath sensations once again, in, out, wherever you're attending. Not the words. Seeing if we can come back to the breathing without turning it into a problem. Blaming ourselves, evaluating ourselves as having poor concentration and so forth. Just coming back. As we're with the breathing, the world doesn't stop. We can hear sounds and thoughts go chasing each other through the mind. The body being alive feels a certain way. Let that all happen. We're not trying to edit anything out nor keep it in. What is featured are the breath sensations. And this is the the core of what we'll be doing.